Okay, so we are right in the middle of a series, Heroes of the Faith. Heroes of the Faith. Um, very exciting. And today we're doing Elijah. <sighs> Elijah's a kicking story. Oh, I know what I forgot. The Hibardens are here. And you know why they're here? Because the Poxen family grew by one. Woohoo! One more. We're, are Ben and Sherry upstairs? We're, ben and Sherry are upstairs. So, I mean, that house is getting full. Because Ben and Sherry are awesome. Yeah, so you'll have to congratulate them. Dex became an official part of the family. Yeah, so celebration today. Okay, 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. That's where we're going to start today. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about heroes of the faith and the idea that we wanted to learn from these heroes in Scripture. Um, so we don't just want to like tell the story. We actually want to learn from them because how many of you know that you are called to be a hero of the faith? Corinthians tells us that Jesus came, died on the cross, reconciled all things to himself, and now he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And it says, it is though God is crying out through you, pleading through you to the world, come be reconciled to me. That's what Paul tells us in Corinthians. Like you have a destiny and your destiny is going to change other people's destinies because the Lord is pleading through you to others that they be reconciled to him. Their lives will be transformed. Heroes are people who are willing to have the courage to walk into situations they don't control. That's what courage essentially is. You're willing to walk into a situation where you don't get to control the outcome for the good of many. That's what heroes do. So when we tell stories about heroes, it's the firefighters who ran into the towers at 9-11 when everybody else was running out. Why is that courageous? Because they couldn't tell what was going to happen next, but they were going to go and save as many as they could. But they didn't get to control the outcome, and many of them died that day, right? Heroes are people who are willing to say, I don't get to control the outcome, but I'm going to do what's necessary to save many. Yeah? That's what we're called to be. Your life has purpose. And it has purpose beyond you. Christianity is not just the like inward study of how I become a good citizen. <laughs> my character needs to change as he's working in me. My character begins to change. I become like him. But a disciple doesn't just learn to be like their master. They also learn to do what their master does. So I am becoming like him in my character. And I am learning to do what my master does. Did. See, it's hard with him because he's everlasting. So like did, does, it's all the, what do you call it, tenses, right? When he sent out his disciples, what did he tell them to do? Be nice to everybody. And after several years, they might be like, man, why are you so nice? And then you can say, well, there's this guy named Jesus. No. How did he send them out? Yeah, yeah. Go heal the sick. Go raise the dead. Go deliver the oppressed. What was Jesus' message? Repent because I brought my kingdom with me and it is so much better than the kingdom you're living in, the kingdom of this fallen world. And then he would demonstrate the goodness of God's kingdom by healing sick bodies, by delivering those who are oppressed. He demonstrated the goodness of God in front of people and said, you can enter into this kingdom. That's awesome. That takes people of courage to be like he was and to go do what he did. Yeah? Okay. 
So we're going to learn from Elijah today, this hero of the faith. The good thing about the heroes of the faith is none of them are perfect. They are all walking with God and learning to be like him as they're walking with him. So if you're waiting to be perfect before you have courage for the Jesus stuff, you're never going to get there. Because part of how you learn to be like him is you walk into hard places. Sometimes it's the hard situation, the hard place that helps you to be like him. How are we doing? Got quiet. Okay. First Kings 17. Now Elijah was, um, oh, and before, I'm sorry. So that's what we did two weeks ago. We wanted to be heroes. And then last week, Matt brought the word. Matthew Danko brought the word in the house. It was so good. It was so good, Matt. And so we learned about waiting on the Lord and working and risking and it was good in the book of, in the book of um, Esther. So if you missed it, you can get the podcast or you can just say, man, I want to take you, we marry out to lunch. <laughs> Three-pointer right here. First Corinthians 17. Now Elijah, who's from Tishba and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, now Ahab, He's the king of Israel. He's a bad guy. Actually, he's a weak man. If you think about courage, he's the opposite. And he's married to a lady who's like, I found me a weak man that I can turn this way and that way. So Elijah was taken from Tishba. Um, okay, so as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring to you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, and there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he has told the king, Listen, this land is cursed because you're worshiping these false gods. So he says to Ahab, Listen, it's not going to rain. I'll let you know the next time it's going to rain, but it's not going to rain. You need to know why. Because you're an evil dude. And then God says, now go into a secret place, right? So God takes him to the, where this brook is, where he can have water, even though the drought is beginning. When does God give him the next instruction of where to go? When the brook dries up. Sometimes you are exactly where God has told you to be, but the brook is drying up. And we get all upset, like confused, like, God, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? He's about to take you to the next level. And that's why the brook is drying up. Right? What did I do wrong? The brook's drying up. Maybe I screwed up. Maybe he's mad. He'll, he's going to tell you. How many of you know, like, when you get off, when you do wrong, the Holy Spirit lets you know. He convicts you. Conviction is the awareness of a specific thing that needs to change condemnation that comes from the enemy is this general sense of what's wrong and maybe I did something and you don't know how to fix it. And it how many of you have felt the difference? So he's done anything wrong, but the brook's drying up. And so God's going to give him instruction. 
Okay? And he says, go to Zarephath. I have already instructed a widow there to feed you. So he gets to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord our God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Now, God's already been speaking to her heart about feeding Elijah. That's what God said. So there's a still small voice telling her, like, preparing her heart, and yet she's all in, like, control mode, right? This is what I have. This is what this means. Here's what happens next. Even though clearly... God has already been working on her heart. He's got something going on. Sometimes God has a provision coming, and when you come to church and you worship or you take time in the morning or eating to abide in his presence, you have this sense of like hope, that heaviness lifts off of you, and then you leave out those doors and you're like, yeah, but I got to, right? He's just giving you assurance. I'm in it. I'm coming. It's... I'm on time, I'm, right? And we go back out and we're like, well, logically speaking, this is, this is where she's at. God's already been speaking to her. Something's about to pop. Something's going to happen. He's been speaking to her. She's going to feed Elijah, which means she's going to have more provision. Well, here's what I have. Maybe a still small voice has been telling me this, but here's what I have, so we're just going to die. Come on. Come on. Sometimes logic will talk you out of the greater thing you know to be true by faith. Logic's a good thing, but you've got to put your brain in order. Your spirit tells your brain what to think, not your brain telling your spirit what to think. Come on. And how does my spirit know it's true? The word of God. He is not a liar. Come on. Are you with me? There's times where by faith, you just got to say, this is what God says is true. So I'm living out of this place. I'm not going to live miserable and I'm going to live out of this. Sometimes you're in situations, people are like, where's the joy coming from? And you're like, I don't know, but it's good. Paul uses language like, you have a peace that passes understanding. A joy that's unspeakable, it's full of glory. People are like, how are you at peace? Because <laughs> your circumstances look bad. But you just know. You know deeper than your mind what's true. And you're living out of that place of peace and joy? How many of you have been there? Just, I mean, just to encourage people around you, just if you've been there where you're like joy unspeakable, full of glory, peace, past understanding. Okay, so a third of us have experienced, I'm just going to believe that some of you, your arms hurt, and that's why. <laughs> some of you have never walked with God and you don't know this is true. I'm telling you it's true. Okay. So she's, so he says, well, listen, I need a piece of bread. She's like, listen, this is all I have, and then we're going to die. 
But Elijah, verse 13, said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. That's pretty cheeky. (laughs) Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops to grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Now, if someone comes to you and says, hey, give me all the money in your wallet. <clears throat> unless God has already like told you, you're going to, unless you prepared your heart for that, it's a mugging, right? So, <laughs> so you don't have to be thrown about by every ask and every need and every, well, maybe I should just, God had already been speaking it to her. So when Elijah said it, she was, it resonated. God's already been speaking this, so she was able to take this step and do this thing. Yeah? So I want to say this to the heroes in the room. Those of you who are believers, you are following the Lord. Listen, your provision is going to get tested. You're going to be in situations where your provision is tested. Elijah's by the brook. It dries up. The lady only has enough flour for her and her son. She's got to make a choice. Do I believe God with this? And feed this man first, right? Provision gets tested. And I don't just mean money. I don't just mean stuff. How many of you are in situations where internally you feel like, I have come to the end? Jesus, unless you show up, I don't know. (laughs) Come on. Sometimes the provision you need is strength. Sometimes it's hope. Sometimes it's joy. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's a relationship. God, I need, I need friendship. God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for him to be alone. How many of you know you need people in your life? Even the introverts. You may only need one. <laughs> but we need people. People who are going where we're going, who... Come on. Just because your provision's being tested doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. It's an opportunity to say, I'm listening really intently for the Lord, and I'm willing to do whatever he says. Times when your provision is tested, you're going to hone your ear to him in ways that you don't when your provision isn't tested. When you feel your need, when you feel, as the Psalms talk about, the frailty of our condition, right? We are in jars of clay. From dust we were made to dust we're going to return. When you are feeling the realness of living in a fallen world, you're going to have an opportunity to find something to distract you or to fill that, or you're going to tune your ear and say, God, unless you come, I have nothing else. You're going to press deeper in during those moments. That's an opportunity. God could have moved Elijah before the brook dried up. He could have moved him while the brook still had water in it. He could have just filled up that widow's jar full 
so that she was ready for him when he came. He didn't do that. He gave them the opportunity to become something they weren't before, right? Elijah has to grow through these moments. The widow had to grow in this moment. Something bigger is about to come, and they had to have grown in faith to be ready for it. You're right? So if you're in a place of dried up provision, whatever that looks like for you, internal, external, whatever it is, man, listen hard. And if God's not telling you what to do, you just keep worshiping him. You keep listening. It doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. (laughs) The animal will bring all kinds of shame when you're by a dried up brook. Don't let him. Listen for the Lord. Listen for the Lord. Listen for what he's saying. He loves you. He will speak to you. And if you're like, he's not speaking, do the last thing he told you to do. (laughs) And stay faithful. Be faithful. How are we doing? Okay, because the room got real quiet. It makes me nervous. So the provision gets tested. I wish we had like three hours because this story could use it. So this goes on and on. And listen, God never fills up her jar. Every morning she has just enough to do for that day. So the next day she gets to wake up and have faith that it's going to be full again. Because every time she feeds Elijah and her son, every time she feeds her family and Elijah, that thing is dry. It's bone dry. And she's just got to trust the next morning provision is going to be there. So they're walking along, living this life of faith. We know Elijah's there for like three years. So this goes on for a while. And then one day, something happens. We don't know what, but her son dies. And she's a widow. That's a bad place to be in. If you're a widow in the ancient world and you, you don't have family, your son dies. You're in desperate, desperate situation now. And so she goes to Elijah, verse 17. She goes to him and says, Oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? She was ready to die three years ago. Oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow? This is what Elijah says to God when he's alone with God. Why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And then he stretches out. He does like a, Elijah's always doing these kind of funny things, but he stretches out over the boy three times and the boy comes to life. And the widow's like, oh, I mean, it's a resurrection. And this is, this is unusual in the Old Testament before Christ. Resurrection, And so verse 24, then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God. <laughs> Three years you've been eating provision for the, by faith. Now I know for sure you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Something had to get built in that three years time to be ready for this moment, this resurrection moment, right? So think about this. And this is where I want to challenge control and faith because you're not going to live a courageous life of faith if you've got to be in control of everything. Control and courage are opposites because courageous people walk into situations where they don't get to control the outcome. They have honest conversations with people just trusting 
That's the best result. How many of you know you've got to use kingdom tools to build kingdom things? And kingdom tools look like mercy and love and grace and forgiveness, but it also looks like honest conversations. You're actually willing to talk about the hard things and work through things for real. You're not going to do that if you've got to be in control. If you have to have a crucial conversation with someone and you need to have an honest, always kind, but honest conversation with someone, how many of you know that requires courage? Because when you're having a genuinely honest conversation, you're not going to control the outcome. Things could go south really fast, even if you do everything right. Look at Jesus' interactions. Some of them go south in very bad ways. <laughs> and he's Jesus. <laughs> but we're just committed to that, to live in a kind, but in honest ways. We don't just put on a polite face and hate someone in our hearts. Because we've died to our rights. We don't get to hate people and have unforgiveness and offenses. <sighs> Which means you've got to take care of your stuff. Come on, do you see how you can't live a kingdom life without courage? So her control gets challenged. So think about this. When Elijah came three years before, she was ready to die, and she was ready for her son to die. But she was in control of it. If a couple guys can just check the lot. Yeah, thanks. But she was in control of it, right? So as long as she was like, well, I can count the flour, I can count the oil, it gives us one more day, then we'll lay down and die. She's ready for her son to die as long as she knows exactly what's going to happen and exactly, come on. She'd resigned herself to it three years ago. When he died, she's not like, well, but I was given three years. She was like, that was unexpected. I was not in control. I'm really upset now. <laughs> come on. Her control gets challenged. <laughs> you said you were this. What's happening? <laughs> God has been showing himself so faithful. Why has God done this? Now she's questioning his character, right? Because, come on, her control got challenged and she's freaking out. Something had to break in her where she could live in freedom. So she'd been learning to walk in faith, but she still hadn't, she still, there was levels of freedom she needed to come to. And she had to see like, so this resurrection thing happened and she's like, okay, now there's a knowing I didn't have before, right? There's a measure of peace that comes to her. Come on, this is like a crucial part of the story because that's something we can all relate to. That's something, that's a crucible all of us have to walk through to get to where God wants us to be. I'm just gonna trust you, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to keep doing it your way, and I'm going to trust you. There are times when doing it God's way looks like a really, really dumb decision. Don't have that conversation. Don't, 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 don't. They're going to freak out. Well, you know what? You still got to do it God's way. Jesus does not weigh. He's not constantly weighing like his political capital and his relational capital. And can I? He's not manipulating situations. He's living honestly in all of them, and the chips fall where they may. He says, I just say what I hear the Father saying, and I do what the Father is doing. And he doesn't weigh all the outcomes, but then this person might do that, and if, oh, and that person might get mad, and he doesn't do that. 
He just is righteous. And he just trusts God. In the end, you've got to make this right. Come on. You cannot live a courageous life unless you walk that crucible. And you won't just walk it once. We're shocked at how much control we need over things, right? You'll walk through it and you're like, oh, I'm living as much freedom. You'll hit something else and you're like, oh, no, there's still a lot of control sitting there. (laughs) It's better than it was. But I'm not fully trusting you yet. And I've just seen that I'm not. And then I just think this is a word, maybe for, maybe it's just one person, but for, I think it's more than one person in this room, but in those seasons, either by dried up brooks or in those seasons when your control is being challenged and you are like, you were unprepared for things that happened or you've been praying for something that hasn't happened yet, you can come into these seasons where you're just troubled or you're sad or you're grieving right there's real there's there's real things happening that you can't just ignore and you shouldn't ignore and i just want to say there are times when we are pushed out of our comfort zones most times where our first reactions aren't like peace and joy like i'm out of my comfort zone jesus is doing something this is beautiful like <laughs> our first reaction is often i am troubled or i'm disappointed god I did what you told me to do, and now the brook has dried up. Now your drought is affecting me. (laughs) Where are you? I thought we were like this. Why aren't you? Come on. When you're pushed out of your comfort zone and you have to confront these things in your life, often it's these, under it, there's these really uncomfortable feelings that come up. And you can suppress them, but that's a mistake. (laughs) You actually need to take them to the Lord and say, I am really disappointed in you right now. <laughs> like, you're God and I love you. How many of you know you can have real conversations with God? Yeah. How many of you know if you're disappointed and right now you're disappointed in God because you don't understand the situation and you think you know what's happening and that's caused you to be disappointed in him, you have to take that to him. And you have to have an honest conversation with him. When you read King David in the Psalms, the Psalms that King David wrote, You know, so many of his psalms, especially the earlier, you know, the first half of the book, so many of his psalms are like, Lord, where are you? (laughs) My enemies are coming after me, and you said you would preserve me, and I don't see you. Where's your hand? Where's your salvation? Where is it? Have you read some of those? And what happens? Because he's crying out to God, what happens? By the end of the psalm, he's like, but thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. You're the glory and the lifter of my head. My hope is in you. What happens? When you take him to God and you're in his presence, he can take that real thing and he can show you what's really happening and give you a confidence and a hope and you leave that session different. You can sit and be angry and disappointed in God for years and years and years and come to church the whole time and never deal with it because you don't take it to him. You've assumed some things about the outcome. And what God shows you is it isn't over yet. When David would come to him and be like, my enemies, they're going to kill me. What would God do? He would assure him, I'm here, I'm in it. And it's not over yet. And his hope would rise and his faith would rise. And um, I think about um, when God comes to Zechariah in the New Testament, it's before Christ is born. You know, Zechariah um, and Elizabeth, they're too old to have a baby, and they end up getting pregnant. 
right? And then jo- they have John the Baptist, and if you're familiar with the the um, Christmas story, they're in there. <clears throat> but when God first comes to Zechariah, the angel comes to Zechariah, he says, your prayer has been heard, and you're going to have a son. And they've been praying for that their entire lives. But when you look in the Greek, it's a little more loaded than that. And I love this. When you, there's, there's more intention than just your prayer was heard. It's literally the prayer that you no longer pray has been heard. The prayer that you no longer pray has been heard. Come on. Like you're so discouraged you haven't, you're not even praying anymore because it's so painful to even say the words anymore. You're not even coming up and getting prayer for the prayer team. But that, yeah, but that prayer is still sitting before me. Oh my goodness, we don't have time, but there's so much to do today. No, 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 no. That prayer is still sitting before me. The prayer you stopped praying. I heard it. And now is the time. Come on. Come on. He's so good. So if you're discouraged in the house today, listen. Whew, take it to God and let him lift your head. Because that prayer that you've even stopped praying is still before him. Oh, I can't sit there. We're going to get really, we're going to get all messed up. and then. Okay. Oh, there's three pages left, and I've only done one, so we're not going to get all, to all of it. Let's, okay, what can we do? Oh, this is all so good. Okay, you have to read 1 Kings 17, 18, 19. You have to read it on your own because it's so good. Um, ooh, we've got time to do one more thing. I know, but yeah. Okay, we've got time to do one more part of Elijah's story. So the big part of Elijah's story we're going to skip. But if you were in Sunday school, you know it. So Elijah, after this three years of kind of living in faith, kind of quiet existence, meditating with God, God says, now it's time. Go out. Well, actually, he tells Obadiah, the other prophet, go out and tell King Ahab. We're ready. Obadiah's like, don't send me to King Ahab. What are you doing? Yeah. So King Ahab comes out with all of his four hundreds of like, prophets, right? These false prophets and these like horrible, like, you know, wicked type, like witchy people. Okay. (laughs) So he brings out these people and Elijah's like, okay, let's see who the true God is. Elijah's had three years in a quiet place with God. So he's full. He's like, come on, bring it on. So he says, listen, how about this? It's been drought. There's no rain, right? People are starving. And he says, let's do this. Let's call down fire from heaven. So you build your altar to your God and I'll build my altar to my God and we'll call down fire and we'll see whose God is real, whose God answers. So the prophets of Baal, they, um, they build their altar and they've cut up this bull and they're like dancing around it. I'll just do that part because that part is really funny. <laughs> oh, It's worth it. Okay, here we go. So he says, you go first. So the prophets of Baal, they say, this is verse 26 of chapter 18. They say, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced and they hobbled around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely 
your God is daydreaming or on vacation. Or maybe he's in the toilet. It just, it just sounds like Hans and Franz in my mind when I read this section. Maybe he's in the toilet. Maybe your God is going to the bathroom and that's why he hasn't answered yet. This is, this is harsh stuff. <laughs> For surely he's a God. Or maybe he's away on a trip. Ooh, maybe he's fallen asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder. <laughs> and they followed their normal custom by cutting themselves and, and stabbing themselves with swords as the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still, there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called the people and said, come over here. And they all crowded to him. Now Elijah prepares his altar. And what he does is he doesn't build a new altar. They have been worshiping false gods. And so he mends an altar the Lord that's been torn down. And that's, we could sit there for a minute because it's so good. But he actually goes and he mends an altar of the Lord that's been torn down. He puts 12 stones around it, symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, dig a trench because we're going to pour water all over this puppy, right? It's, think about it. You're calling down fire to burn up your sacrifice. And he's like, drench it with water. So he digs the trench. And so there's, they fill it up. Twice they fill it up. And the trench is full of water. And the wood is all soaked. And the bowl is all soaked. And then he just prays a very simple prayer. And fire comes down from heaven consumes the entire sacrifice and licks up all the water. And in this demonstration of God's power, these evil people obviously are amazed and they get cut down, killed. I know that's kind of gruesome. But these people who've been fomenting all this evil and all this stuff, they get cut down that day. As they see the demonstration of God, they can't even fight it. So this is like a really powerful demonstration of God. And Elijah is like, okay, take care of these guys. And then he runs after um, Ahab and says, you better, you better run. <laughs> so Ahab gets into his chariot because Elijah's like, now the water's coming. Hasn't rained in over three years. Hear this demonstration of God, fire, and then he says, the water's coming. And if you don't get to the city first, you're going to drown in it. Oh, Elijah's, ooh, he's right. He's feeling it. He's, God's moving. He's doing it. It's awesome. And so Ahab gets in his chariot, goes back to the city to his wife, Jezebel. And God gives Elijah, it says, um, supernatural strength. Elijah tucks in his tunic, and he runs ahead of Ahab and gets to the city first. So Ahab's like running for his life back to the city. Elijah's like, run, brother, right? Run, you better run. Um, so he gets in his chair, he goes, and who's meeting him at the gate? Elijah got there first by running. I would be terrified. <laughs> Wouldn't you be? <laughs> And what happens is Elijah's servant looks out and he sees his, I, he, Elijah says, look, look for the Lord. He's bringing rain now. And he says, I don't see, don't see it. Third time he says, oh, I do. I see what looks like a hand coming up out of the water in a cloud. 
and here comes the rain, right? <sighs> Begins to pelt the earth. Now, Elijah's just powerfully done all this stuff. He's run supernaturally fast, like to the city. I mean, it's been a good day. And Jezebel says, you better run because before the day's out, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah gets afraid and he runs away. What? You just killed like 400 men. And this lady, unarmed lady's like, I'm going to get you. And he's like, oh, get out of here. He runs. Okay, last thing we're going to do with Elijah. That story, there's so much there, but we're going to use just one thing from that story. So Elijah's discouraged. He's discouraged. He's hiding now. And God says, um, God again gives him provision, feeds him what he needs to give him strength, and says, go out to Sinai. So he goes out to Mount Sinai, which is the mountain of God. It's where God spoke to Moses. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's where God spoke to Moses. Verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 10, Elijah says to God, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Is that really what's happening? Well, no, because Obadiah the prophet, he just sent him to Ahab. So Obadiah is a prophet. He's still alive. And he knows that Obadiah had hidden 100 prophets because Obadiah just reminded him of it in the previous chapter. So he's not the only prophet alive. The people of God aren't trying to kill him. There's just that lady who's mad at him. But he's crying out, God, I'm the only one who's been faithful. I'm the only one. I'm all alone. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord said to him. And Elijah stood there, and the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. We're not going to continue in the text, but let me just say, Elijah found himself, one, he did these mighty things for God, but he's human. He got emptied out. And so he was ready for this big challenge, right? He'd had three years of abiding and like sweetness, sweet time with God. There's this big challenge. He gets emptied out in it. And guess what? There's a point where he was empty. And he felt alone. I'm all alone. I have nobody. <laughs> And I've been so faithful. He's feeling really sorry for himself. He's sad. You want to be a hero? You better learn to walk with heroes. We need each other. We need each other. Do you have that last slide, baby? <clears throat> Make sure it's my husband back there. <laughs> I didn't look first. That's a problem. We need each other. We need each other. 
Honestly, I think the brook dried up because Elijah didn't need to spend that three years alone. He needed to be with people on a faith journey too, which the widow was. He goes into this mighty thing and he gets emptied out. And even though facing Jezebel is nothing like doing what he'd just done, he was doing it empty. So he didn't have it in him. And he became afraid by a little threat when he had just, with God, conquered a huge threat. So what does God do? Again, he goes off, there's time of abiding, and God speaks to him. Here's the wind, big, powerful wind. His voice wasn't in it. Here's the fire, big, powerful fire. Voice wasn't in it. Here's earthquake, big, powerful earthquake. Voice wasn't in it. Where did the voice come? Still small voice. He'd had three years of sitting in that still small voice. And so he's emptied out. And so God is teaching him, you got to come back. You got to abide. This big stuff shakes. It seems like a big deal to everyone around you. But here's where the strength comes from. How many of you know your strength doesn't come through the great things we do for God? The strength comes from the quiet times nobody saw with God. Jesus does amazing things. And what does he always do? I got to get alone now with the Father, man. These people had needs. He would empty himself out and then he would go and he would, his disciples, sometimes he was like, you guys go in this boat and he'd push them off. He's like, I'm going by myself in this boat. And it's not just because he was an introvert, right? <laughs> he was like, I need to be alone with the father. I need, whew. So small voice. And then here's what God does with him. Then he sends him back into community. He sends him back to be, he gives him friends. He gives him people to walk with. He wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. He was living as though he was alone, but he wasn't alone. He wasn't the only prophet. He wasn't the only one who still loved the Lord. And we see it when we see Ahab and his fall, which we don't have time for. The whole story is so good. But I mean, God finally, the last straw, I love this. The last straw for God with Ahab and Jezebel, they kill a righteous man, Naboth, and they try to steal his vineyard. And Naboth wouldn't sell them the vineyard because he's like, man, this is the inheritance that my family got from the Lord. I can't possibly sell it. So his fear and reverence of God is what caused him not to sell the vineyard to Ahab. And Ahab's like, you're not going to sell me the vineyard? And he arranges to have him killed. Well, Jezebel, but they have him killed. And God's like, that's the last straw. You're going to touch my righteous? You're done. You're done. Yeah. And we see after that episode with Naboth, then the people who had never worshiped the idols, and there are many of them, they'd never worshiped the idols, they rise up in Israel. Elijah wasn't alone. And God had to show him that. Still a small voice, and now you go find people who are going where you're going. There are things you're believing God for. There are moments you hit where control is being challenged. You've got to have faith, right? There are moments you hit. You can't hit those alone. Number one, you've got to be in a place where you can hear the still, small, quiet voice of God. You have to make room for it. And you need people. You need people who are going where you're going. You need people who believe God the way you believe God. Because they're going to encourage you in it. They're not going to let you sit for years and years and years by a dried up brook by yourself, feeling bad. They're going to help. They're going to be on the faith journey with you. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. So, as we're taking things out of the story, worship team, if you would come, prayer team, if you would come, as we're taking elements out of the story, I want to encourage you 
three things. There's so much, and maybe you got encouraged by other things in the story too, but three things I want us all encouraged by for sure. Don't let your provision or lack of provision dictate what you think God's doing in your life. Listen to a smell, still, quiet voice. That's how you know where to, do, what, where to go and what to do. Provision is never an indication of what you should do. It's always his direction. Number two, you're going to hit moments where your own control scares you. You have to surrender it to God to live a courageous life. You have to. Courage is the opposite of control. You don't get to control the outcome. You do what's righteous. You do what God says, and you let him be God. Third takeaway I want us all to have is we need each other. And we don't just need each other to play backgammon and chess. You know what I'm saying? That's good. I want to do that with you. But we need to encourage one another in the Lord. We need to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms and encourage one another in the Lord. In your prayer time, ask God to give you words of encouragement for people you're walking with. Talk about what the Lord is speaking to you. We need each other if we're going to live courageous lives, lives of heroes. <laughs> Amen. Would you stand? God is good. We have a chance now to respond to the word before the baptism. So here's the deal in this house. We don't just want more information about God. You've got to do something with the information. And we're Pentecostal, so we're good with that. Like, we're good with that. So here's what you can do. What's God stirring up in you? What was he speaking to you through the word today? Don't just think about it. Do something with it because you're going to walk out those doors and you'll get distracted by the cares of this life. So let the seed, if it found good soil, do something with it so it can root. So here's some things you can do with it. If God's stirring stuff up in you, you can get prayer. There's folks here to pray with you. There's folks on this side that can pray with you. Craig and Ken are in back in the alcove. They can pray with people too. <clears throat> Any believer near you has the kingdom without measure. So pray with someone near you. Maybe you want to write some things down that God is speaking. Maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray. You can do that too. Maybe you want to turn what God's speaking to you just to worship to him. But let's be intentional. What's he speaking? Do something with it. Ask him, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? Let him take it and bring transformation from it. Amen? He's so good. Let's worship him.
prayer just keep praying just keep doing what you're doing a couple weeks ago John joined us for the first time and got saved which is awesome and we just had baptisms I think like the week before and um, he's like can I get baptized and we're like yeah so it's fun when your problem is you got to schedule more baptisms than you had scheduled that's a good problem to have so for those of you that are, uh, maybe you're still seeking, maybe you don't really know what you think about God yet, I just want to explain to you what we mean by salvation. Maybe you came in this place and you're like, man, I can feel the presence of God. I think I can sense something's happening here. You can sense God's presence. Here's how you enter into relationship. You don't enter into relationship by saying, well, I'll come to church then because there's a God. It's good, come. But that doesn't mean that you're saved. <laughs> And you don't enter in by saying, I guess I better be a better person. I'll try to do some good stuff. Do good stuff, but that's not how you're saved. The Bible says actually, apart from any good works we do, we are saved, Romans chapter 3, we are saved when we put our faith in Jesus. We repent of our sins and we turn our lives over to God. Repentance literally means to change your mind. And because our mind has fallen thinking, we have done fallen things called sin. We repent of our sins and not just the outward things, but the inward things that led us there. And we say, you know what, God, you can have everything now. You can have my life. 
You can have my mind. And the Bible says he's going to transform your life by transforming your mind. There's going to be a new way of thinking, a new way of living. And that moment when you surrender to God, and that's how you get saved, you surrender. Not try harder, you surrender to him. And you invite him into your life. You exchange your life for his. In that moment, the Bible says, Book of Romans again, Romans 5 through 8, that the bondage that you were in and I was in sin is broken. And now there's a new hunger for righteousness that wells up at that moment of surrender when you say, you are Lord, I am not. Your way, not my way. I'm following you. In that moment, bondage of sin is broken. And the Bible says, Corinthians, now you are a new creation in Christ. You're not trying to be a new creation. You are a new creation in that moment. And the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. You were sensing him when you came in, but now he comes to dwell within you. And that still, small, quiet voice we talked about, now he's going to be speaking to you, right? And you're going to sense his presence. And I'm telling you, I got saved when I was a kid, so I don't remember the difference. But when people get saved as adults, they're like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how alone I was my whole life, and now I'm never alone. Like, his presence is so good, and we were made for that relationship. So today... If you're in this room and you're like, I need a relationship with God, I just didn't know how to get there. That's how you get there. And these folks back here, Ken and Craig or Amber and Denise or who's on this side, Twyla and Cheryl, you can pray with any of these folks or if you know a believer in the room, you can pray with them. But today's the day you can surrender. And that's exactly what John did. John, come on up. Come on up. So people get baptized as an outward profession of their faith. And so, John, just a little bit. What's Jesus? What's Jesus to you? Why are you getting baptized today? Because he died for me. Yeah. And forgave me for my sons. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And now he's placed you in a family. Yep. He he did. Yeah. John was telling me um, that before he even came in, that God was telling him, I don't want to get your words wrong, but that he was going to give you a, was it, you, I want you to use your words, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, but he was going to give him a family. Go ahead, I'll let you. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> Do you mind telling him? Do you mind telling him? Because they hear me talk all the time. Well, I've been wanting to get into a church that was going to be good for me, somewhere where I was going to be comfortable. And some of these other churches that I wasn't too comfortable in, and God spoke to me. He's going to the somewhere in Jackson, so I'm getting baptized today. So good, so good, so good. So John, step on in. If anybody wants to come closer to the front, you're welcome to come closer to the front. Get a better view of you. Baptism is just beautiful, so we can we can move. It should be exciting, so you don't have to be so quiet because it's an exciting celebration. I know it's not nearly as warm as it was the last time. <laughs> That's my bad.
good. So good. Ushers, come on up. We're now going to have communion together. So we welcome John and the family of faith. <laughs> he was welcomed in a couple weeks ago, but now we've made the public profession, so we all get to be a part of that joy. Heaven rejoiced two weeks ago. The Bible says that heaven rejoices more of a one who is saved, right? So there's a party in heaven, and we get to have a party two weeks later. So we're going to do that with communion, how we celebrate the Lord's table and the fact that he's made us family. So ushers, come on up. If you'll get the emblems. If you could stand, we're going to just one more worship song, and it'll be easier to pass the, the cups to you. And we're going to celebrate. Celebrate this with communion. Jesus is good. What he's done for us is good. It's so good. And when we come to this table of communion, we're reminded of what he's done, how good it is. Amen. Go ahead. Oh, hey. 
Has everyone received who would like to receive? Then we had some folks moving. Okay. When Jesus knew it was time for him to die, where he'd be taken away and beaten and hung on the cross, he knew he had little time left, and so he gathered his disciples near him for Passover dinner. He washed their feet. He even washed the feet of Judas, who he knew who would betray him. Still serving. <laughs> doing the righteous thing no matter what the outcome is and then he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me and so we remember his sacrifice that he took up our infirmities he carried our sorrows and with the stripes that he took on his body we are healed our spirit is healed reconciled to God, our soul, our mind is healed, our bodies, physical bodies, healing. Jesus is making all things new and he can do it because of the price he paid with his broken body. And so we take this, remembering what he's done for us. Amen. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me until I come again. And so today we celebrate his death and what it brings, but we also celebrate his resurrection. He's no longer in the tomb. <laughs> he rose again on the third day and he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of this age when he returns for his people. He is here now, here now with us. And we look forward to his appearing. Amen. Amen. Would you take this with me? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your love that you so love the world, that you are willing that none should perish, but all would have eternal life that we can repent of our sins and turn to you, surrender to you. You're so good. You're so good. <laughs> He's so good. He's so good. Just tell him. Use your own words. Just tell him, thank you, Lord. You're good. You're worthy. You're worthy of our praise. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. You are beautiful. We love you, Lord so good to us so good to us in every season so good to us thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord <laughs> he's good he's good he's good and he's not done yet today would you do this as we close in prayer would you just be asking God would you give me an encouragement for someone in the room would you give me an encouragement for John as we celebrate his new life today 
Would you give me an encouragement for someone I don't know? And before you go, would you let the Lord encourage people through you? He's so good. Sometimes he just wants us to be able to speak out what he's speaking. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is saying, I want to talk to that person. I want to encourage that person. And we get to be his hands and his feet and we get to plead as though God were pleading through us. He's so good. Would you pray with me as we close the formal part of the service? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory <laughs> forever, <laughs> forever. Amen. Encourage somebody before you go. Love you.